Welcome back to the Not Just a Bikini Girl podcast. This is your host, Jasmine Jeffrey, and today we have a very, very special guest called Destiny. Now, I'm not going to talk about anything. I'm going to let her do most of the talking and talk about her story. I think it's such an important one for all females, whether you're in the competing world or not. Every single female, I think, needs to listen to this episode and definitely get certain type of test done but welcome to the podcast babe i think let's Hello. start with an initial introduction into yourself in terms of the competing industry fitness sort of realm and then we'll go into what's been going on the past couple of months um, i actually don't know the time frame so it'll be interesting to kind of listen exactly into this time frame yes yeah, let's take it from there perfect hi um So I got into competing back in, well, I first stepped on the stage in 2017 um, in bikini. I started training probably a few years before that and sort of lost like something crazy, like 30 kilos, and then started wanting to look at other ways that I could boost my physique even more. So then weight training came into things and I got myself a coach. And we actually worked together for a good year before I even stood on stage. So that was a long journey for me and him. And I competed with PCA in Wales, which was my first competition. Met some amazing people. I was so clueless. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I look back on the videos and I'm like embarrassed because I couldn't pose. I had no stage presence whatsoever but it was all the experience of doing it and I met some amazing people and actually funny enough during this whole stage of what I'm going through now I've had girls reach out to me and go hi yeah we were tanning together at the PCA Wales and so I've made some really good friends from it and we still keep in contact so that was May 2017 I did a really long prep I was prepping from sort of well January until the end of May and then after that I was like I'm just going to go back to being normal, as, as we tried to do. Yeah. Um, but the bug had me by then, and I was like, I am going to do it again, but I want to be a lot, lot better. So went through sort of like an off-season, trying to gain a, a good amount of muscle, because as we all know, when we diet down, we then realise actually we don't have that much muscle at all. I agree. So diet <laughs> down, yeah, and actually took a good amount of time off and then competed again in September 2018. So I had a good amount of time off before I started dieting again and dieted that time for 16 weeks, which was very challenging. I don't think I gave myself quite enough time. I think by the end, I was doing a lot of cardio, very low calories, sort of burnt myself out by the time show day came. Mm. And unfortunately probably didn't look quite as good as I wanted to just because I think I had burnt myself out. And I think my body had just got to a stage where it, it couldn't do it anymore. However, it was a great experience. Yet again, PCA, London, it was a great experience. Met loads of amazing people. Wait, wait. Had my family there. PCA London? I did PCA yes, London. You did. I remember you. Oh, my God. <laughs> we were there together. Oh, I, I probably have photos of us on stage. Oh, my God. <laughs> do you know what? I can probably like, bring up some stage photos now and be like, yep. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It feels like a long, long time ago. So after that, I was like, right, I am not stepping on that stage again until I am in really, really, really good, like got enough muscle. I mean, I train really hard 
but obviously when I then have to diet down really hard it a lot of it gets stripped away so yet again I took a really long time out um I actually then changed gyms and started training at Crayford Weights and Fitness and met some amazing people there who really really pushed me and built a really really good amount of muscle and then I was planning on competing in April PCA Saxon in April and then I was going to go had it booked to fly over to Ireland to do muscle contest the pro qualifier over there um and literally like I now look back at the photos I was in like I looked really good I was three weeks out I was like that would have been the best I'd ever looked with three weeks out you know you still got so much more to give and actually it was probably the easiest prep I'd had in terms of I felt confident I felt like it I didn't have to do crazy amounts of cardio I wasn't on next to nothing food I was I felt relatively good on that prep I did a much longer prep so I eased myself into it and I didn't drop a lot of muscle either so and actually my coach kept looking at me going I think you should do wellness I think your wellness your legs your legs are holding too much muscle so I was pleased with that but then unfortunately when COVID happened the lockdown all the shows disappeared there was absolutely nothing nothing going on so I quickly booked a photo shoot with Simon Howard which I'm so grateful I did because otherwise you know when you do all that prep so I got some amazing photos done with him luckily I've got some really nice photos of course didn't get to stand on stage had my beautiful bikini by Georgia Rose which obviously is now made redundant for the time being but until things are back to normal personally for me illness aside I wouldn't want to compete at the end of this year with the restrictions that are in place I think for me the massive part of the show experience is meeting people backstage not having you know the way they're describing it is that you're going to have to stand in your own areas tanning's going to be limited and like I say I've had girls message me like oh my god yeah I remember you it was us and eight other girls backstage getting tanned all at the same time and I'm like yeah like (laughs) so and it's the same with the audience I could not imagine walking out on that stage and literally having three or four people stood there watching you and barely making noise like that's the whole experience for me so I mean I probably wouldn't have considered competing until next year now anyway. Mm. And with the gym being locked down, unless you're fortunate enough to have a home gym, which most of us don't, I can't see how you would improve your physique, let alone maintain it in this, you know, in in this climate right now. So I think, of course, if you can maintain, that's brilliant. But for a lot of us, if you want to build a decent amount of muscle, you need to be lifting heavy week in, week out, and you can't have four months off the gym which most of us have now had. So, no, so my plan I'm was PCA London. 2021. That's mad. Yes, I'm pretty sure we've got some photos on stage. Oh, we would be in the same fight. <laughs> yeah, but then it's my photos looking ridiculously tall and then everyone else. I'm just like... Oh. Yeah. But no, that's so cool. That is so cool. <laughs> so like, when you mentioned about photo shoots, and this is something I've done this year, I am like so pushing everyone to do photo shoots doesn't matter like what stage yeah. of journey you are on right now whether you're in off season or just out of prep or near a show blah blah, blah. like now I've just like gone got back into photo shoots I'm like why don't we do this more like why don't we document more of the yeah. process and have some you know I guess see yourself in a different light as well because you think sometimes yeah. I don't know about you you have your stage photos and then you have your checking photos 
I just like, okay, checking photos, we don't look our best, let's be honest. But we yeah. do, I, I think we just don't give ourselves that time to really get dolled up in those moments and actually appreciate yeah. what it is. Yeah, I'm definitely with you. Very cheap. Absolutely. So you've mentioned then you were starting prep. So you were prepping at the beginning of this year. And then talk to us about what's been going on recently with yourself in relation to COVID. Um, yeah, I was prepping this year, yeah. And so talk to us about what's been like the time frame of what's been going on with yourself now and did that merge? Was it kind of one than the other? Yeah. So it did partly merge. So around the sort of January, February time, I was sort of already three months into prepping. I started having some abnormal bleeding in between my periods and mainly bleeding after having sex. So as always, female bodies, especially when we're dieting, we're training hard, our hormones are all over the place you know, our periods do become a bit a bit weird during prep. So initially, January, February time, I didn't think much of it. I just put it down to dieting hard, training hard and dropping body fat. I'd actually, around about February, switched to kind of like a keto diet as well. I've never done a keto diet before. So this was the first time for me. So yet again, put it down to abnormal bleeding in between periods being more to do with my diet and my training than anything else. It wasn't until March came that the all the shows got cancelled and um, I stopped dieting straight away because I felt like there was something wrong, if that makes sense, with, you know, my hormones and stuff. And I just felt like, now shows are done, let's just cancel the diet, get back to eating normally and hopefully this will improve. And I had my smear test book for March the 16th, so I thought... Perfect. You know, it'll just put my mind at rest that there is nothing more serious going on here. And unfortunately, because of COVID, it was the first week of lockdown. My smear test got cancelled. And the famous last words were, you're only 27, you're not a priority, and you are very low risk for having cervical cancer. So we will get you booked in probably in about six months. Mm. So sort of, I came out of a diet and um, I came out, obviously stopped training, and I felt like it got worse, so the bleeding became more regular. And I thought, well, this can't now be down to diet and stuff. So then that's when I started thinking, right, I need to speak to my GP about this. So spoke to my GP the first time after the smear got cancelled, and she said it was probably a cyst that had burst, and that's why I was bleeding. Then went back to her a couple of weeks later with the same concern, saying, surely if it was a cyst, I wouldn't still be bleeding now. And she just said, so I also, during this period of time, had COVID. So I'm a nurse and I caught COVID from a patient at work. Mm. So I was unwell with COVID. So then she said, this is probably your body run down with COVID, even though it now sounds very stupid. And I think, how do I ever believe that? But she just said, it's probably your body extremely run down and it's probably that it will, you'll get better. I had extremely raised glands as well. And um, she said, oh, it's probably a throat infection, put you on antibiotics. So by this point, it then got to May. And by this point, I, you know, negative for COVID. I'm back at work. I'm still not feeling great. My, my throat is so sore. I've got really raised glands. I'm so tired. And the bleeding is getting worse and worse and worse by the day. 
rung her again because by this point this was the third time I rung her she said it was a urine infection oh my god no. and to have antibiotics so and yet again still wouldn't see me in the clinic so had antibiotics for that and then a week later I rung back up and said look this is getting really out of hand it's really bad now and she basically said that she thought I had an STI and I needed more antibiotics to which I said I will happily do a swab with, for you and I can guarantee I don't but I'll do the swab for you did the swab obviously it came back negative and then she just said oh to be honest I don't really know what it could be if it doesn't go if it doesn't get any better in a couple of weeks then ring back up but I can't have you in the clinic because of COVID so about a week later I ended up going to A&E because things had got so bad that I was just like I can't ignore this it was a Wednesday night it was it was absolutely dead in A&E I walked into A&E I thought oh my god they're gonna literally laugh me out the door because they're going to say why is this girl coming in with abnormal bleeding and it was probably going to be something really silly so I walked in saw a doctor within sort of 20 minutes and she was like right let's let's get you on the bed it's probably nothing but let's just have a look and she examined me and her face I was just like are you okay and she was like um I can see something and I was like okay like tell me what and she was like wow um it looks kind of like a really like big tennis ball and I was like pardon and she was like yeah it's um well I, I would probably say it's definitely a tumor and it's the size of a tennis ball Oh my! God. and I was like oh my god okay and she was like and you're and she said to me I can't believe that your GP missed this and I said she didn't miss this she never saw me she me and the poor A&E doctor at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday night is frantically trying to ring around to see if anyone could urgently look at me because she was that worried that it was that bad. Luckily, the next day, I had a um, phone call from UCLH Hospital mm -hmm. um, in Houston who said that they wanted me to come in the next day for a biopsy. And from the day I went to A&E to the day I got diagnosed was three weeks. And during that time, I had multiple scans multiple tests and they got me diagnosed and within three weeks whereas I was waiting four months to see a GP during lockdown and yet the hospital could see me and get me sorted within three weeks which is just incredible so I mean I'm very grateful for the care I've now got obviously I feel massively let down by the GP surgery for thinking that they could refuse to see patients just because of COVID. I mean, I'm a nurse, I work in a hospital and we didn't stop treatment. We didn't stop patients from coming in. I still got into A&E fine. I still get into a hospital to have my treatment fine. So why GPs feel like they can cancel smear tests is just beyond me. I have no idea Mate, where, what, what policy they followed. I would, if I was you, I've not, like, you have so much grace about you and I really would like that because I would be fuming like I would actually lose the plot like I would pray for my husband because I would be like who how do you we're all human however there's like a line yeah and that line was definitely crossed like how do you cross mentally like obviously you had the show is being cancelled which mentally is a tough one for people and then covid as well and then you get this like mentally how do you deal with that without not going 
getting so angry and frustrated. Like, did you go through that phase? And like, how do you mentally, uh, I, hope, I think it puts a lot of perspective as well for maybe other people that think, oh, I had shows cancelled. It sure like, does. Oh, yeah. So I, I now look back, I remember when shows got cancelled and I was devastated. And then like moving forward, then very quickly, I then had COVID and it kind of made me think, right, okay, there's, there's more serious stuff going on in the world right now. But this, I think, the initial, when, when, she, when I went to A&E that night, that was probably the most angry and emotional I've been the whole time. Um, because when she said, how has someone missed this? I, just, I was so angry at that point and thought, you're right, how did someone miss this? Because this is ridiculous and it's been going on for four months. That made me very angry. And actually, on the flip side of things, with gyms being closed, like probably like a lot of us, we use sort of exercise and the gym for our mental health. And all I wanted to do at that point was to go to the gym and lift really heavy and get all my frustration out. I know there's a lot of people right now that are in the same boat and just think, oh, I can't wait for the gym to open again. But it definitely makes such a big difference when you don't have any way of getting out that anger and that frustration. I think for me, the biggest difference was that one night I was really angry, really upset. However, very quickly, I'm a cancer nurse. I've worked in cancer for five years. And I think I very quickly switched it around and put like my nurse's hat back on and think about things very professionally and logically. And I think that's kind of what's helping me get through this with the trying to promote smear tests, trying to promote more awareness, doing the TV interviews. I think that's what's going to help me get through this, trying to have a positive like mindset on this whole experience. A bit like a prep, I think if you go into it thinking this is going to be the worst 16 weeks of my life, why am I even doing this? You are going to have a shit time. If you go into it going, do you know what? I'm strong. I'm better than what I was last time. I'm going to get through this. You come out with a much better experience. And it's the same with this. I think my treatment's 12 weeks long and me and my mom kind of have a running joke. Like right now I'm nine weeks out and we're kind of using this as a prep. I've done, I've done preps before and I can survive that. So looking back on them experiences, like where we've all had them really dark days where you just want to quit them days where you would lay in bed starving hungry counting down the hours to your next meal it's it's that same like being mentally strong as well as physically strong I think that's a really good trait to have and actually I'm so grateful that I have the fitness like competing background in me because I think that's what's going to get me through this a lot more positively than other maybe other people that go into it feeling very scared and very angry I've had to let go of the anger I think that's only going to sort of drag me down. I need to think of this as a positive experience rather than a negative one, definitely. It just shows another example of how prep and this life, what you never know how it's going to help you and mentally get you through some really shit times and you don't even know. Like, I think that's so powerful right. just within itself. It's fantastic. Do you feel like this, pro where you're at right now, so what, um, oh, forgive me, is it stage two or stage three at the moment, your, the cancer level? Okay, so it's a bit confusing in terms of, so staging is the one that people are most familiar with. So I'm stage 2B, which means that it's stage two, but it's advanced stage two. The grading is how aggressive the cancer cells are. So grade one is obviously not very aggressive and grade three is very aggressive. 
so I have like a mixture sort of my cancer cells are very aggressive and they spread very fast so that's why it's a grade three but the staging is 2b which means that it's spread outside of the cervix but it's not outside of the lower region if that's the right word to use <laughs> yeah 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 so is it what so what's the process for you right now then you've mentioned chemo my very small understanding of chemo is it's kind of not kind of sorry if this sounds comes out really badly like no. you know you get like a my for example my grandma gets her vitamin b injection or she gets something like a drip is it kind of like a drip is that how it's like the chemo isn't it yep it's a drip it's a drip they put it in your arm yes yeah exactly that so at the moment um i'm now on week three of my treatment i have once a week chemotherapy at the moment the whole process so i have two different chemotherapies and they take two hours to go through so one hour each one of the side effects of the chemotherapy that i'm currently having is hair loss and for me that was obviously a massively devastating thing i have long blonde hair a lot of people you know identify who destiny is by the long blonde hair mm. and it's my identity so that was really devastating for me so i'm actually using something called scalp scalp cooling mm. which is a the best way to describe it is a frozen swimming cap that is put onto your head it's plugged into a machine so it remains frozen the whole time and the thought process behind that or the research is that it will then freeze your hair follicles in your head which will stop the chemotherapy from attacking the cells. Wow. So there's a good chance with the use of this, yeah, with the use of the cold cap, I won't now lose my hair. Obviously, they can't guarantee it, um, and it has to be done properly. But as long as I use it every week, so that makes my chemo slightly longer. So I have to have it on for an hour before and an hour after the treatment. So in total, I have to be there for four hours. And someone asked me in an interview the other day, like, what's the best way to describe it? And I said, you know, when you go to the cinema and you have a tango ice blast and you get a brain freeze, yeah. that's literally what it feels like. It's not painful, it's brain freeze. My head is frozen and my hair remains frozen for sort of a good three, four hours after I take it off. And then I have quite a strict protocol, wash it with special shampoo, can't dry it with a hair straightener, um, can't dry it with a hair dryer or use hair straighteners. So I have to have quite a minging hair for the next six weeks. But if that prevents me losing my hair, then it's worth it. Then after these six weeks, so I'm halfway through that now, after these six weeks, I then swap over. So I will remain to have once a week chemotherapy, which is through the drip, um, but I then have radiotherapy monday to friday so five days a week for six weeks so that is the part of the treatment where it's mainly aimed at the cervix which will hopefully be the treatment that really gets rid of the tumor mm-hmm. and that's yeah every day five days a week for, for six weeks so that's going to be quite tough to to get through definitely sorry my dog i definitely want to come up um so where does where do you have to do this chemo and radiotherapy? Like, is it close to you? Is it you have to travel quite far? Yeah. So I actually live in Crayford, opposite the gym, in Kent, and I'm being treated at University City London Hospital, which is sort of King's Cross. 
Euston Way in central London. How far away is that? Um, for example, this morning it took me two hours to drive in to get to my hospital appointment. So the travelling is quite an issue, especially as we've come out of lockdown now and the roads are just chock a block. I'm um, at UCLH rather than um, a closer hospital. Do you know, so it's still recording. Okay. No, just repeat that all again because I didn't hear. That's okay. Um, I was just a little bit in shock with how long your day must be, having to do two, two and a half hours, yeah. and then park up, and then get in, and get settled into the hospital, and then do the session, and then come back. Like, that must feel exhausting in itself on top of doing the chemo. Yeah, so at the moment, whilst it's only one day a week, it's, it's a long day. I leave the house at six in the morning and I usually get back at six at night. So it's a good 12 hours I'm out of the house for. It's when I pay, when I start the radiotherapy that I have to be in every day. So actually I'm going to try and look into a hotel, which obviously is going to be expensive, but it will be a lot easier than me driving in and out of London every day, Monday to Friday, basically. And with the congestion charge, it's £15 a day now with parking with petrol actually the cost of driving in and because of covid i'm not allowed to get public transport because i'm now vulnerable because i have low immune system because i'm having chemotherapy mm. so i have no other option than to drive in so especially when i'm in every day i'm going to get very tired from the radiotherapy um so i'm going to try and get a hotel or something an airbnb are you allowed to have someone come in with you and travel with you or do you have to kind of do it all by yourself? So I'm allowed someone to travel with me. At the moment, I've got my mum up staying with me on like around treatment days. So she comes up for two or three days, stays with me just to make sure that I'm okay and just helps me out. Um, but I'm not allowed anyone in with me. So this whole process, I've had to do completely by myself. There's absolutely no visitors allowed in the hospital. So my mum comes up with me and then she sits outside the hospital waiting for me for five or six hours. And then we drive back together. Even when I had, even when I had my operation, I couldn't, I couldn't even walk. I definitely couldn't carry my bag and they wouldn't allow my mum to come up to the ward to collect me. And the nurse had to just carry my bag down and they literally just dropped me off outside and my mum pulled up. So this whole COVID situation has such a big effect on on so many aspects of you know care and stuff that you're not allowed to have anyone with you lucky for me being a cancer nurse I kind of already knew what was going to happen but for someone you know I'm not saying I'm young but 28 going into a hospital for the first time to have chemo is actually very terrifying and I couldn't you know and just to have someone with you would have would have been nice but obviously I understand for the safety of the patients they can't have visitors but it is. It's um. It's a very strange environment, sort of. Only having patients. There's no other visitors, and actually, I have to sit there with a mask on for the whole entire six hours I'm there. And you know, it's just it, it gets hot. You're struggling to drink and eat, and it's just not very comfortable. What do you do within that time? Like, do you like do I listen to a podcast or do you have a like, TV? Like, what do you do to kind of not pass the time, but you know, make it as comfortable as you can? Yes. Yeah. So before I started, I thought exactly that. I'm going to watch loads of Netflix. I'm going to do loads of that, like podcasts. Because I'm having the cold cap, my ears are completely covered by the freezing cold cap. So I can't have headphones in. And we don't have 
like it's all an open room we don't have individual rooms so the first week I was a bit like oh god what am I gonna do I'm so so thankful that loads of people message me on Instagram and like people that I've never spoken to before will just message me and we'll be sat there for hours and hours chatting talking about things so actually the the probably the most that I do during this time is sat on Instagram chatting to people about all sorts of whether it's fitness whether it's competing or whether it's just something completely random and bless these people that don't even know me just go we just want to keep you company I have got an iPad but like I say it's very hard to watch something when you can't have headphones in and then you're very aware that everyone else is listening to what you're watching and yeah just trying to trying to keep in touch with people and and actually last on Monday when I had my chemo I I slept for two hours I was really tired so that made the time go go very fast as well so it it sounds like a long time but it really it really does go quick so it's not it it doesn't feel like you've just sat there for five hours doing nothing like there's so much going on I like a good old people watch as well I like looking at other people seeing what they're doing that's really entertaining. <laughs> I love that. There's nothing better. And it thinks it gets better when you get older. People watching, oh, I'm convinced. <laughs> it is. It's great. Does it feel weird for you being the patient now in comparison to being the nurse? Is that a strange kind of switch for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, I think I very quickly put my nurse's hat back on. I think I feel safe when I'm the nurse feel more in control and I think a big part of um, any sort of health problems is not having control especially in cancer you're basically told when you have to come in what treatment you're having you don't really have much of a say in it and you feel very out of control where I have like the nurse's hat on I can kind of understand a bit more of what's going on why they're doing it and it just makes me feel like I'm a bit more of a part of the treatment even though I'm not it just makes me feel like that. The first session when I went in, the nurse I had, he kept saying to me, you have to remember though that you're not a nurse anymore, you're a patient. So you can't ignore symptoms or anything like that. If you start feeling unwell, you can't just soldier through like us nurses do. You know, you need to own up and say, I'm really struggling here, ask for help, ask for medication. I think from that side of things, it is quite difficult to sort of admit that you kind of do need help and you're struggling a little bit you like to think that you can soldier through push through and you know when we're at work we are told that we need to be professional we need to you know be strong of course we can show some emotion but obviously we can't sit there in balls of tears because a patient's very unwell and it's the same thing now that I think that's why I'm so passionate about trying to spread the awareness and trying to help educate people and get my story out there it gives me that sort of that I still feel like I'm a nurse and that I'm doing something to help others obviously a massive part of my job every day is getting that satisfaction from helping patients getting them through something so I feel like I can't do that now I can't go to work I can't do that but by sharing my story raising awareness getting women to have their smears it just and then when you get the messages like oh my god I went and had mine if it wasn't for you I wouldn't have done it like them sort of messages give me that same feeling like I am when I'm at work yeah um but it definitely is really hard to be a patient nurses or anyone that works in healthcare are rubbish patients we don't <laughs> like it we uh, like I mean I just like to try and if I could 
I would hang my own chemo. I would do it from home. I would prevent going in and using a hospital bed. I hate it. I'm like, no, I don't want a bed. Like, honestly, just put me in a chair. I don't need a bed. And then they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. So it's very, it's very strange being the, being the patient, definitely. I love that. So this chemo, not chemo, with smears, we have, we briefly spoke about this before we started recording. So for my understanding, yeah. it's every three years in the UK, I don't actually remember the yeah. age you're meant to, you're allowed to have 25. Twenty-five. Twenty-five. Yes. So, is that, I think it's different in Scotland, isn't it? I swear it's different in Scotland. Okay, so I had a message the other day on Instagram saying it was twenty-one in Scotland. However, they recently have changed it back to twenty-five. So, I think if you started already at twenty-one, you could continue. But if you hadn't already started, they won't let you start until twenty-five now. I'm not overly sure on the evidence of why they decided this, but they believe that there's some sort of, you're still going through your hormone changes even at the age of 21, and this was given false positive tests potentially because of the hormone changes. Mm. Um, I think they looked into that and decided that 25 was the age that they wanted to start it at, which is actually reduced from, in the UK it used to be 30, so they have already reduced it from 30 to 25. I think that was the sort of Jade Goody effect when she obviously was diagnosed and sadly passed away. I think there was a lot of um, awareness raised then about cervical cancer and smears, and they changed it then. So did you have a background, like family history-wise, relating to cervical cancer or anything like that? Absolutely not. Um, no family history of any cancer whatsoever. I had my first smear when I was 25, which would have been 2017, and that came back completely normal. There was no cause for any concern. And then obviously then this has happened. I know I had quite a lot of girls message me actually, who were maybe similar age or younger, asking me whether I had the HPV vaccine mm. at, at high school. And they were quite shocked when I said, yes, I did have that vaccine. And they had it in their head that by having this vaccine, it meant you couldn't get cervical cancer. And I think that's yet again, poor education. I know that obviously they rolled it out. I think it was, I think we had it when we were about 15, 14, yeah. 15, you were meant to have this vaccine. Mm -hmm. um, first, yeah, and yeah. I definitely had mine at school. Yeah. And um, I had that and... I still ended up with this, even though I had that vaccine. So I think I've had quite a few messages from girls asking if I had it, and I can confirm I definitely did. And it's not, it's obviously something to help prevent the HPV virus, but it obviously doesn't completely rule it out. So I think that's really another important message to get through to girls that are maybe younger that have had it and think, I don't need to have a smear test because I had the vaccine because it's not a vaccine that if it stops you from having cervical cancer, you still need to have your smear test moving forward. Mm. So talking about misconceptions then, do you think there are any other misconceptions um, relating to smears or your situation or having cancer, chemo? Like, So I think definitely with the smear test, I am still quite shocked at what sort of a taboo subject it is. Um, I'm still very shocked at how many women don't want to talk about it, how many women don't have it done, how many women put it off, 
and I can't understand why and why there is this sort of negative attitude around having a smear whether I personally think that some people view it as something to do with like a sexually transmitted disease or something and they're embarrassed to talk about it mm. um but it does make me sad to think and yet again I've had a lot of people message me saying I was due mine a year ago my first one but I heard it was so painful I never went for it yet again I think that's a really big misconception of course it it, it is a bit embarrassing no one particularly wants to go in to a doctor's surgery but they're always female and actually working in healthcare. Uh, you know I've looked at so many body parts that I don't even blink an eye anymore because mm. that's my job and it's exactly the same with the nurse carrying out the smear test she's not looking at anything all she's doing is her job and she doesn't really care what's going on down there other than getting the smear test done so I think yeah the, it is slightly embarrassing but you have to remember that these people do this 10 12 times a day and they're not particularly judging you they're not looking at you there shouldn't be this stigma attached to it and in terms of it being painful of course it's person to person but yet again in my experience and the girls that I've spoken to it's a little bit uncomfortable it literally takes 30 seconds it's it's yeah. something you know there's a lot worse things that you could do for 30 seconds than have a smear test and actually the message I'm trying to get out there is believe me 30 seconds of being embarrassed and being uncomfortable is much better than having to undergo chemotherapy radiotherapy I've had multiple people want to look at me and I've had a room full of like six people that were all like, oh, we've not seen one like that before, as in the tumour. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I can tell you now that's a lot more embarrassing than having a 30 second smear test. And the same with the pain. The pain I now have from having chemotherapy is a lot worse. So I think that's the important message that it's every three years, get it booked in, get it done. It's not anything to be embarrassed about. Us girls should talk about it to each other. We should encourage our friends to have it done. We should talk to our mums, our aunties about it. It shouldn't be something that we should be embarrassed about because it really is something that can save your life. Yeah. Um, so I just, that's the message I'm trying to get out. And actually through this, like, um, I don't know if you saw Women's Health posted a post about it the other day on their Instagram saying, let's make it normal. Um, I've seen a lot of other recently, it's becoming a bit more of a talked about subject of, it's, it's absolutely normal to go and have a smear test. We shouldn't be embarrassed about it. Yeah. And it should be something that we should encourage each other to do because it could save your life. For me, I'll, I'll be honest, I'd put it off, but it was fine once I went in. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Now I feel like an absolute twat because that was nothing. <laughs> that was absolutely fine. I remember looking at the woman and be like, is that it? She's like, yeah. I was like, oh, bloody hell, all right then. See you next <laughs> See you again. Yeah. Like it, it was absolutely fine, um, absolutely fine. But I yeah. do think at the same time, well, it, I think it is good. So smear tests now, I think they they they're accepting that sometimes for some people, I don't think it's just smears. It's within the UK healthcare system. If you work nine to five, it's like so difficult to try and get time off work just yeah. to go and get yeah. the smear test or get whatever done but i know they are being a lot better now they do like 7 seven thirty, and like evening appointments and stuff but um i get really frustrated yeah. with that with the workplace with how some people they put it off purely because of how inconsiderate their bosses are and they won't let yeah. you go to the doctors and i just think that yeah. is mad it's an essential thing and people are being so irate about it like absolutely i was going to touch upon that but i think as well 
it's it can be very hard to access these services i totally appreciate that i mean i'm fortunate that i work shifts so i do tend to have a day off or two days off in the week so i can attend appointments and i fully appreciate that there's people out there like yourself work monday to friday nine to five when are you going to get in however i know that like you say GP surgeries are now trying to be flexible. I know my GP opens a Saturday morning. Mm. Um, and of course, it might be something that you then have to wait a month for because the slots are booked up. But there is always a way. I think it's very hard to say to your boss, oh, I'm going to be late tomorrow because I've got a smear test. I think, especially if yours is a, a male boss, you're not going to want to say that to them. So I think definitely that part of it is is does make it difficult for women to access. And as well, my other main concern is if you were one of the people that had their smears cancelled during lockdown, how many of them women are going to go, oh, I know the first thing I'm going to do, want the smear test. The only way that we actually do it is because our GPs ring us or send us a letter and nag us to do it. Yeah. But once it's been cancelled, no one's gonna ring up and go i really want that smear test done and that's the worrying thing that how many women had their cancelled and now we're gonna let it slide and never chase it back up again or or it might might be unintentionally maybe they are just very busy they had it cancelled and it might be a year before they realize oh my god yeah it was cancelled last year and that's the whole year that's passed by and i think that's the worrying thing it just it seems absolutely ludicrous to me i mean gps I understand we're under a lot of stranger in this whole lockdown COVID situation. However, let's be honest, when you have a smear test, they are down by your legs. They are nowhere near your face. Yeah. You could both wear masks. Mm -hmm. You could have exactly the same safety check, check a temperature, make sure you're fit and well. If you are, come into the surgery and we both wear masks. They wear a visor and they're down by your legs. They're nowhere near your face. Like, and that's the only contact you have. And exactly, there's so many, there's so many ways that these, these tests could have been carried out. And I just feel very disappointed that they felt that smear tests were not important enough to carry out during the pandemic. Mm. And, you know, whether it was a, I don't believe it was all areas. I know of other girls that have messaged me saying, I still got mine in lockdown. However, there were a lot of women that messaged me saying I had mine cancelled, I had mine cancelled. So I do believe it was sort of postcode lottery, if that's the right way to describe yeah. it, of whether you could get into your GP. I mean, even now, I can't get an appointment to see my GP face to face. Um, but but I can go to the pub and hang out with my friends, and I can you know go go to a protest with millions of people, but I still can't face to face see my GP because they still won't open their doors. And I think that's absolutely crazy. You know, working in healthcare, we never stopped any treatment. We never stopped any patient coming in. Even patients with COVID still got treated exactly the same. And to think that GPs sort of took this into their own hands and decided that absolutely no one was allowed into the surgery is absolutely crazy to me. I can't understand that. I could go full on COVID rant right now, but I, I think I speak for quite a few people now and I think it's getting so frustrating because at the beginning there seemed to be a, a some level of logic, but now I don't think there is any logic. I think it's literally they've got no. they've got this massive fishbowl and they're pulling out of the hat, oh what's gonna come what's gonna come next? Next yeah. right, orange, two, four, six, right. This is how you're yeah. saying. And it's like 
it's so so frustrating. And I I can even think on top of my head right now, right? GPs, you know, um, you know, the old school like films and prisons and they have one person on like one side and you pick up the phone. Like I can yeah. imagine that. And that would probably work quite well. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. it's just crazy. And even for me, so there's two things. I've got a real massive lump on my ankle. Like it's ginormous. It's just like the width of it, it's probably like a ten pence coin. And it's like it doesn't look great. It doesn't feel great. And I call up the GP. They're like, oh, we're gonna get you on a nurse. I was like, okay. So I spoke to the nurse on the phone. She goes, right, you send the photo in. I was like, yeah, but you can't feel this thing. <laughs> you can't feel it. I'm like, yeah, it's no, fine. Please. I'm like, okay. I trust you, but I bloody hope so. But even like, I had to get a heart scan done um, because my dad's got this genetic condition where he's got um, two heart valves instead of three. So okay. I went in. And I do say they it was it was meant to be for end of March. It got cancelled, and then I think I had it done like last month. And to be honest, yeah, like, that yeah. was fine. Like in even when because you mentioned it being you know, the smear test being the bottom half, my heart scan was like obviously yes, up the yes. chest, and it was fine. Like um, I just thought you could have probably done this earlier on in lockdown yeah. like it's very strange I, I have a lot of condition for the heart thing so i'm very very grateful for that uh, i have That's three good. heart valves so gave me yeah um, you yeah. need to go and get that lump checked i know i'm gonna have to go and just be like look he said it was whatever but i need you to look at this damn thing and actually tell me what it's like is but even now with gps i don't i go to certain gps now i say i want i forgot his name i want x yeah. man because I know he's the only one that's actually going to take what I'm saying seriously. And it's so frustrating that you have yeah. to do that. But even from like talking about the smear test um, stuff again. So I, well, actually, I'll be honest, I did put my off slightly. And then I got it booked in. And then I think I have got something like the HPV. So I'm going to have to get it done again. I think it's next year or something. But it did make me think. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, you to yourself and ask you previously before we started recording like I know someone um that potentially is kind of maybe a couple of months before you in terms of the stages right now um mm-hmm. and it makes you think like does it need to, it's uh, three years is a long time like a lot can happen in three years it is yeah that's mad it totally is yeah I know um it's been raised quite a lot recently with other people with whether it needs to be increased or whether it can be increased if you have symptoms. I know like not everyone would feel the need to go every three years and I completely appreciate that. If you have absolutely no symptoms and you are, but in my opinion, it's for the sake of a 30 second swab, which isn't painful at all. I would prefer to go. If, if someone said to you, would you prefer to, you know, roll the dice and find out of course you're going to do it like why would you not why would you turn that down and the thing is with if you think about all the other cancers that are out there there's really not any other screening other than breast cancer obviously if you find a lump you can go and have a mammogram but other than that there's really no other testing to detect early early cancer whereas with the smear like you said it starts off with the hpv virus and then obviously if you do have any like of the precancerous cells they can remove them mm. and that is literally like the most important part of this that having the early detection saves you i'm sure people you know people with bowel cancer or you know brain tumors 
if if they were if someone said do you want to go and have an mri of your head every year just to check you've got no brain tumor i'm sure most people would go yeah absolutely yeah. because how many times do you hear of horror stories of people just having a headache for a couple of weeks and then the next minute they've got a brain tumor and you think why would we turn down something that is going to potentially save our lives and i definitely find it being more common now that women are having the hpv virus then they're closely monitored and if it does progress into the cancerous cells then obviously they have the procedure to remove the cells which yet again from the two or three women i've spoken to about um have like they've all said yeah it's it's a bit uncomfortable but it's not painful and one of the ladies actually said that she watched it on the screen and she watched them remove the cells on the screen while she was having it done wow. which i just think is absolutely fascinating but if that if if that is offered to you why would you turn that down why would you want to risk your health and your life moving forward for the sake of being slightly embarrassed and a procedure that literally takes 30 seconds mm. and then you hop off the bed and that's you so i do think it's i do think that it is so important and to have it done regularly and on time obviously it would be amazing if they could reduce it down to yearly but reading the research I don't think that is ever going to happen sadly but I think the government would say it would cost way too much yeah, and they would then um, say so mm. I guess it's kind of with a lot of this and I get really like angry when I go to the GP and I have sometimes I have to go about three times to then get whatever I need and it's actually needed and it's like I've wasted three yeah. two extra GP appointments which could have been spent yeah. better and sometimes I think especially when you get older right like I don't like wasting people's time I'm only going to the GP yeah. if I really need to go and a lot of people obviously are going to get yeah. the other side of that but generally speaking with everyone leaving, leading very busy, busy lives you only go to the GP if you really need to like if something's really bad of course you'd, you'd think right if they've come to me there obviously is a reason I think it's if you catch something earlier prevention over treatment right that, that's yeah. kind of what you hope um yeah absolutely prevention over cause cause like prevention over cure all mm. day every day and like I tried to say obviously I don't know the cost of cancer treatment but i can guarantee you now that the cost of a smear test versus the cost of even 12 weeks of cancer treatment how can they even be compared to the cost of what i now have to go through that actually could have been prevented by a smear test the cost surely can't be anywhere close to each other mm. i understand what they're saying and it's like anything the sad thing is i have a friend who's a gp and she told me that they quite often have a three strike rule so if someone comes in the first and second time but you don't necessarily think there's much to investigate you you tell them to come back if it doesn't get any better but by the third time that is the time that you have to act on it which yet again i think is a very poor attitude to have because like you said you've then wasted two appointments I've gone in the first day. I've told you what's wrong. You need to treat it. But no, you're going to tell me to come back in two weeks if it's not got better, which of course I'm going to come back. And yet again, the money that goes into that of wasting doctor's time, but not even that. You've then had to take time off of work, your busy life, to go into a GP three times when actually they should have just done something in the first place. I think 
it's very difficult to get GPs to get referrals these days or mm. any sort of scans or anything like that. They just don't want to because of the cost that is involved. But actually, the cost of what's involved if you then become very unwell is a lot more than the cost of catching something early. Yeah. No, exactly. And I, for me, getting my heart scanned, to be fair, I feel like I've got to the point now. Like, I went into this one GP and he goes, it's not genetic. I said, my dad's gone down to the to the top cardiologist in London. He says it's genetic. They're really concerned with me because I do all the cardio I do. And I was like, no. I was like, look, just tap it into Google, mate. It's yeah. going to come up as genetic. And he just completely parted me off. And I went to the receptionist. I said, I said, Sandra. I always don't know why I remember her being called Sandra. But like, Sandra, I'm really sorry to be that person. I was like, but I really need to get this treated. I said, oh, not really. I need to get this scan. Yeah. I appreciate the services, yeah. but I, re- and to be fair, Sandra was a bae. She got it sorted for me. But yeah, oh, it is, it is frustrating. I want to kind of touch slightly on like the competing sort of side of you and in relation yeah. to the kind of, you know, the place that you're at right now. Um, has your body changed dramatically during this process? Naturally, when we go through these phases of off season and prep, like, Sometimes that can be quite mentally difficult to, you know, process and deal with and handle. Um, yeah. What's been going on with you in relation to your relationship with your body? Because obviously in comparison to maybe early on in the year, you were prepping. How has that been for you? And like in terms of your competing brain and obviously normal uh, destiny brain as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So after, after obviously prepping, I was three weeks out and then everything got cancelled. It was really hard the first couple of weeks, as it always is. But then I felt ill very quickly. And gym being locked down, I think a massive part of me was relieved that gyms were shut because I couldn't, with COVID, I was so tired. I couldn't even get out of bed some days. So knowing, like, part of me was relieved that gyms were shut because I didn't have that pressure to force myself to go. But then when I started feeling better it was very difficult because by that point, you know, you'd already sort of gone off track for six, seven weeks. And it's very hard when you're unwell, you don't necessarily want to eat proper food. Um, I mean, I was kind of like living off like toast and things that were really easy to just make and eat. And I think probably for me, it's just been the lack of training. So I've not actually been well enough. I have bought gym equipment at home. But I would say during this whole lockdown, I've actually only been probably well enough to train for three, four weeks out of this whole lockdown. Mm. So I really haven't trained at all, which has been a big struggle um, to be able to even maintain. And also with the food. So since I've started treatment, I actually, I'm actually on steroids for, as part of my treatment plan, which obviously makes you gain weight. So that's obviously a really hard part of it as well, increased when I have the steroid, increased hunger and sort of still not feeling satisfied is a massive part of it as well. Mm. It's really difficult to sort of switch off the, you know, when you compete, when you prep, you do get into such a routine with your food, your diet, and it's really difficult. Like, I've just, well, it's, it's not that difficult. So my favourite food is chocolate, but since starting chemo, I've completely gone off chocolate. I literally, like, I look at chocolate and I'm like, no, thank you, which is obviously good. But then there's other things to life I've got. Like like I say, I'm obsessed with toast. I never ate toast before. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, 
but I'm just I think the change of my diet has been quite hard in terms of being able to accept that um, I don't need to be on a strict diet at the moment the key thing is I need to have enough fuel in my body to get through the day and at the moment I'm just eating like quick and easy food because I just don't have the energy to stand up cooking so from that side of things it is quite hard to sort of look back and obviously like I'm already thinking the gyms are opening on Saturday obviously I'm absolutely thrilled for everyone else but I know deep down that I shouldn't really be training because I just don't have the energy and would I get that same level of satisfaction going to the gym and only being able to do a quarter of what I would normally do if that so it's kind of like a head and heart thing my heart really wants to go back to train but my head's telling me don't do it I'm already in pain from the chemotherapy I'm already drained and have no energy so then do I want to go to the gym which is really hard when we've already been out of the gym for four months mm. to then think that it's going to be another three months before I'm going to get back into it so in terms of competing moving forward I I mean I would love to be able to say 2021 but realistically I'm not even going to get back into a gym until October mm. and whether that gives me anywhere near enough time I mean I could definitely aim for the end of the year and that is if everything goes fine, my treatment goes fine, and I get the all clear in October, then mm. hopefully I'll be able to return to training and getting back into a routine. Mm. This might sound like a really silly, like weird and silly question to ask you, but you mentioned about the tiredness and the fatigue that you're feeling with chemo. How, does, how different does that feeling of general tired and fatigue on the daily feeling comparison to a prep because I know during you know for a couple of weeks last especially when you're near a show you are every single day going to feel tired and exhausted but I can imagine it's probably on a different level is it yeah I mean I think probably the best way to describe it is if you think about if you ever have actually really had the flu I mean the real flu where you are that exhausted even picking up a bottle of water to drink is tiring it's that sort of level i think the difference with prep is you've got something really exciting and something that's really important to you in touch and distance so them days where you're at the end and you really have no energy but you already know that you've put in 12 weeks of hard work or 16 weeks of hard work and you know that you've only got two or three weeks left you really do dig deep and push through it and i guess in that sense it's the same thing in terms of I know that I need to dig deep and get through these tough days. Of course, it's not every day. I have days where I can go out walking. I have days that, like last weekend, I was at a baby shower for my sister. But by the end of the day, I was absolutely exhausted, more so than what I would normally be, and then just needed to have a really early night. So I think the best way to describe it is if you if you can think back to the time that you were the most sick you've ever been and you literally couldn't get out of bed that's what it feels like on on its worst days and it's the same it's the same with all of it like I've, I'm getting really bad knee pain hip pain and lower back pain and the only way I can describe it is if you think about like you know when you get really bad doms and you literally are struggling to walk up and down stairs sitting down on the toilet you're like oh this is so painful it, it's almost like that but worse and obviously I'm not exercising, so there's absolutely no reason why I should feel like this. And it's just the side effects of the of the chemotherapy. It affects everyone so differently. The list of side effects are a thousand things that could possibly happen to you. So 
only having five or six of them is is pretty good going um when actually there could be a lot worse so yeah it's just kind of having that same mentality of when you're on prep and you really don't think you can get through the day like i say you eat all your carbs in the morning you still got to go train you're tired you're grumpy you just don't want to do it anymore but you something inside you goes no you've come this far go and do your cardio and it's a very similar thing and i think that is the good thing about bodybuilding or competing or dieting you really do find your inner strength like i say no one can get you through a prep but yourself and if you can have that self-discipline and you can get through it then i honestly think that you can get through most things in life and it's the same with this like no one no one else can do this for me no one else can have the treatment i have to get myself through this and definitely prepping in the past has made me mentally strong enough to be able to get through something like this and probably for your next prep, it, it will probably just feel like the complete doddle. It will just, in comparison to what you've been through, you just be like, yeah, I've got this. Like, completely got this. But if it wasn't for those previous experiences, it's mad. So, honestly, I'm so glad I've got you yeah. on today. So, so glad I've got you on today. Oh, if that's people, good. If people want to find out more about your journey, I know you're really active on the stories at the moment, which is amazing, give them more of an insight into your life. But where can they do that? And also, I will be leaving uh, the GoFundMe page as well. Because I did not know this um, until I obviously came across your Instagram, is that, correct me if I'm wrong, you only get two months sick pay, if I'm correct. Yeah. So I'm really, really fortunate. So my previous coach, Shannon, Shannon Mackey, um, she contacted me straight after my diagnosis. And we, we'd worked together for about a year before that and became very good friends. And she contacted me straight away, obviously, when she found out. And when I told her that I was very concerned that I was only getting two months sick pay, she straight away said, I'm going to set something up for you. And I've just been blown away with how many kind people there are out there. So just going back with, so unfortunately in the NHS, you get one month's worth of sick pay for every year that you've worked for them. I worked, I um, started working at Great Auburn Street in 2015, worked there for two years and then left for a, a year and then went back. I've now been back for two years and they will only take in consideration the two years that I've now worked, not the previous two years I then worked for them or the other year I worked in the hospital. So because I sort of left and came back, they won't they won't sort of use that. Technically I should be entitled to five months sick pay because I've worked for the NHS for five months um for five years. However, they because I left and came back, Great Ormond Street will only pay me for two months. My treatment is four months long. So that then leaves me with no no pay for two months of course i'm going to be entitled to get some benefits which obviously i will go down that avenue as and when i need to do that i live by myself in crayford so i have rent to pay um i have bills to pay and on top of that i have to still live i need to be able to eat i need to be able to travel into london every day i've got a car to run so which shannon amazingly set up the funds for me so the money is going towards me being able to pay my rent and pay my bills and to live for the next two months. And that is going on the fact that my treatment goes 100% to plan and I go back to work the day after I finish my treatment. If I have any more time off, 
that it might take me a couple of weeks to feel well enough to go back into work. Mm. Um, so, you know, all this money that is being raised by everyone, I'm so grateful because it's not going on anything fancy. I've had a few people message me saying, oh, are you going to go on a nice holiday? And I'm like, no, read the story. I'm raising money because I financially can't support myself. Yeah. You know, I'm single, I'm by myself. I have to pay my own rent. I only have myself to rely on. Of course, I have family. I have my mum and dad. But, you know, they, they work hard for their money. They've got their own rent to pay, mm. their own bills to pay. They're going to help me as much as they can. But anyone that lives anywhere near London knows how much rent is up here. Um, and to think that you pay me for two months is, is kind of disgusting, to be honest. Yeah. And it kind of does shock a lot of people to think that, you know, a nurse who's dedicated the last five years to helping other people is now sort of begging for money to even be able to get through my own treatment so definitely um anyone that can donate or even just share my story it's getting me sort of it's spreading the word out there and I'm honestly so grateful to everyone that's donated and you know any donation five pound is the difference between me being able to eat or not eat so anything that anyone can donate I am really grateful for well, it's going to be in the episode notes. So whether you're in Australia, Canada, US, wherever you crazy people find my podcast, please do make sure you go and check that out. And thank you so much for coming on, babe. One more question, though. What makes you not just a bikini girl? So this question, it can't be related to anything you've mentioned, or it's like fitness or anything like that. But what makes you not just bikini girls? What other thing or random hobby or like interest or something like that makes you not just a bikini girl? So something that I've not mentioned is another side business I have is I bake cakes, which is the complete opposite to what you want to do when you're dieting. Um, <laughs> so I started off baking cakes just for like post-show treats for my friends. And it kind of took off. And now I probably get three or four orders a month from random people. And it could be anything from a baby shower to a birthday to a christening. And it's just a totally random side hobby that self-taught baker. And definitely not something that you would put with someone that is in the gym training and dieting. And then I come home and bake a cake full of chocolate for someone else and just have to smell it. And that's what you do on prep though, isn't it? You just smell. Because like the smell makes all the difference. <laughs> are you still um are you still taking it's orders or not at the moment? No. I have taken a few orders at the moment, but obviously when I start radiotherapy and I'm in every day, then it'll be impossible for me to be able to continue with the baking. But yeah, it's something I enjoy. I like doing it. I don't feel under pressure. It's a side it's a side income for me, so it's not it's not something I need to push and really promote it's sort of word of mouth friends of friends which is nice I love that I love that so what it's like hands down what's your favorite thing to bake and favorite thing to eat okay so I think probably like my signature is my cookies I usually do them really really big like giant cookies and they're always absolutely rammed, full of toppings. So they're probably my favorite thing to bake. And you can literally put anything on top of 
anything on top of a cookie. There's nothing I couldn't put on top of it. So whatever your favorite treat is, it can go on top of a cookie. Love it. Um, and probably my favorite thing to eat is definitely red velvet cake. That is my weakness. I would eat red velvet cake every day if I could. <laughs> I love that. So if anyone's listening, um, if you ever see her, that's what you need to do, is literally run to the nearest shop and go get a red velvet cake. <laughs> I love that. So thank you so much again for coming on. Um, for people that are listening, please do check out the GoFundMe page. Please do go and support on Instagram and make sure you get your bloody smear test done or we will be chasing you or I will be definitely chasing you for that. So I think we'll end it there, lovely. But thank you so much for coming on and we'll see you guys in the next episode.